Bibles with you, and I sure do hope you do. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Some of the greatest fight scenes, boxing scenes ever to take place have taken place in the movies. I love the Rocky movies, not only because they were named after me, but I just love those movies. I, I love seeing Rocky Balboa fight Apollo Creed in Rocky 1 and Rocky 2. And I remember those words at the end of Rocky 1 when, when they had gotten through fighting and Apollo Creed won. And Apollo Creed said, there ain't going to be no rematch. And Rocky said, I don't want one. And I remember Rocky 3 when, when Rocky fought Clubber Lane, Mr. T. And in that second match in the movie, Clubber Lane looked Rocky square in the eyes and said, I'm going to bust you up. And Rocky, without blinking, said, go for it. And then in Rocky IV, with, with that steroid-induced Russian boxer, Ivan Draco, when he was fighting him in Russia and, and Rocky was getting hit and hit and hit and he was in his corner and, and Rocky said, I see three of them. And Paulie said, well, hit the one in the middle. I love watching those movies because of those fight scenes. But one of the greatest fights that has ever taken place took place in the life of Jesus, when Jesus was fighting against the religious leaders of his day. It was the, one of the greatest fight scenes to ever take place because it has internal consequences. The, the results of that fight affect you and I today. Now last week we focused on round one as Jesus and the religious leaders clashed over the Sabbath and we discovered that religion puts rules first, tradition first, but Jesus puts people first. We discovered that God didn't make man for the Sabbath, but rather God made the Sabbath for man so that man could have a day of rest, a day of rejuvenation, a, a day of relaxation. We discovered that, that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, that if you and I truly want to experience rest, emotional rest, internal rest, eternal rest. The only way that we can experience that is through Jesus Christ. You're, you're not going to find rest for your souls through rules and regulations and religion. You're only going to find that in Jesus. But today as we move to round two, we're going to see Jesus and, and the religious leaders clashing head to head, going head to head over an issue that that really seems somewhat strange to us today, the issue of, of washing your hands. Now let's go ahead and begin by looking at the story. And, and so if your Bibles are open, follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. It says, One day some Pharisees and teachers of the law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of Hand-washing before eating. In the Greek, it, it literally says they eat with defiled hands. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by the ancient traditions. Or perhaps in your translation, it says the tradition of the elders. 
Similarly, they don't eat from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law ask him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Now let's stop right here before we go any further. You need to understand that, that this had nothing to do with hygiene practices. This was a ceremony that, that started with a biblical truth, but it took a wrong turn somewhere over time. The Pharisees did this with many of the rules, many of the regulations that God gave us in the law. You see, around 400 or 500 years before Jesus came, there was this group known as the scribes, the teachers of the law, that came on the scene. And these men were legal experts who, who carefully defined God's law. They would take the principles that were found in God's word and they would expound them. They would amplify them into thousands of rules and regulations. And so, for instance, where it said, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. They would say, now what does that actually mean? And they would set up a series of rules and regulations that you had to follow because this is what that actually meant. And they did this with almost every law that we found in the Word of God. And these rules and regulations were called the traditions of the elders, the ancient traditions. And these became equal, if not more important, than the law of God. Now this particular practice of of ceremonial hand washing started with the priest. They were to wash their hands before they, they went into the presence of God as a reminder to keep themselves pure. But the scribes took this and said, what's good for the priest is good for the people. And so every time you eat, you were to wash your hands a certain way, a certain amount of times, with a certain kind of water. And if you failed to do this, you were defiled in God's eyes. You became unclean in God's eyes. And they even said that you were open to demonic attack. You see, they were taking God's word. They were distorting its truth. And they were replacing it with their own traditions. Now, how often do we do the same thing? Now, before we go any further, let me give you a modern definition of what I would say tradition is for us in this context. You may want to write this down. A tradition is our assumptions, our opinions, or our thoughts about God's Word rather than God's Word. Our traditions are our assumptions, our Opinions, our thoughts about God's Word rather than God's Word. And we hand down these assumptions, these thoughts, these opinions from, from generation to generation and they become important to us. Now let me give you a warning about tradition. Anything that God's Word does not clearly define or clearly address, we better not try 
to clearly define or clearly address. Let me say that again. Anytime it comes to an issue where God does not clearly define this or clearly address this, we must be very careful not to try to clearly define it or clearly address it. Because if we do, we will find ourselves in the position of these religious leaders in Jesus' day. Now, what are some of the ways that we do this today? Well, we do it in our worship. We do it in our worship when we criticize certain music styles, certain types of dress, certain styles of preaching, certain times or days of worship. And when we do this in regard to our worship, we become a foe of Jesus. We do it in our theology when we write in stone certain beliefs that the Bible leaves open to disagreement. And we do it in our living when we add man-made rules to what God's Word teaches. Now don't get me wrong. Our worship needs to point people to Jesus. And there are certain theological truths that we must hold to if we're going to be Christians. And God's Word gives us some clear rights and some clear wrongs. Those are defined in God's Word. But we must be very careful not to add to or take away from God's Word. Now understand, all our traditions aren't necessarily bad. They help us know who we are. They help us understand where we've come from. The, the problem is when we begin to equate our traditions with truth. And that's what the religious leaders were doing in Jesus' day. An example would be this. I grew up being taught that, that drinking was wrong. Now, my, my dad never said that if anyone drinks a glass of wine, they're going to hell. But, but the background, the tradition that I grew up in was that you were supposed to be a teetotaler. Now, understand, when I was a teenager, I wasn't a teetotaler. I did some terrible, awful things, and I got drunk as a skunk at times. But when Jesus got a hold of my heart and, and I turned over everything to him, Man, I went back to this tradition. You don't drink. If you do, you're going to go to hell. And the alcohol in your bloodstream is going to make you explode. And so when I was a senior in college or a junior, I can't remember now, and I'm, I'm in my 50s. I, I, I traveled to the Middle East and, and to Italy for a semester to study abroad, and, and as I was over there, one of the professors that went with us was, was a religion professor, and, and as we sat down to eat our dinner at night, he would drink a glass of wine. And I got to tell you, I got ticked off at him. I condemned him to the lower pits of hell. I just could not believe that he was teaching religion and yet he was drinking this glass of wine. And I've got to be honest with you. I held to that tradition for a long, long time. Until I had to be honest with God's word. God's word clearly teaches that 
that drunkenness is a sin. The Bible even says that drunkards will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So hear me, understand. (laughs) There's this line that if you cross, man, it's serious. And yet as we read God's word, there are times that, that God even, hear me, encourages or at the very least celebrates the wine from the fruit of the vine. And I want you to hear me. I'm still a teetotaler. I don't drink. I'm not sure it's a wise thing for anyone to do. But what I do know is this. If I look at someone who is drinking that glass of wine or has that can of beer in their hand and I begin to condemn them, I am no different than the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And so Jesus didn't let them get away with this. Questioning his disciples, so he confronted them. He called them out. And that's the thing about Jesus. Jesus was always willing to embrace and love and help the sinner who wanted help. And yet at the same time, he had no patience for these religious leaders and their rules and their self-righteousness. So notice what he does in verse 6. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's laws and you substitute your own traditions. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your traditions. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectful of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it is all right for people to say they're the parents. Sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own traditions. And this is only one of many others. And Jesus started by calling them hypocrites. Hypocrites were actors in, in a Greek play. They, they wore multiple masks depending on the role that they were playing. And Jesus was saying this to these religious leaders. He said, you were simply playing a part. You were pretending to be one thing when in reality you were something entirely different. Now, in Matthew 15, when Matthew is telling us this same story in verse 1, he says, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? I mean, this was serious stuff. They were doing what they were accusing Jesus' disciples of doing. So Jesus quoted Isaiah 29, verse 13, where where Isaiah Speaking for God said, these people honor me with their hearts or their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, they they talk a good talk, they say the right words, they may even look the part, but on the inside where it really matters, they're far from God. Listen one more time to what Jesus said. He said, your hearts... Are far from me. And then he gives them an example of how they are ignoring God's word, which reveals a problem with the heart. 
They were making this big deal of ceremonial hand washing. But they were not caring for their needy parents. You see, what they were saying is, what I would give to my parents is Corbin, depending on the translation you have. And that word literally means set apart for God. And so what they were saying is, the money that I would use to to help you, it's been set apart for God. Sorry. Uh, The time that I would use to come and help you, it's been set apart for God. Sorry. Uh, The ways that I would work to help you in your time of need, I can't because all of that's been set apart for God. And Jesus said, What you're really doing is you're using all of this on yourself and yet you're trying to create this tradition to protect yourself and you are nullifying God's word in the meantime. Their lips were saying one thing, but their heart revealed something else. The problem wasn't that they misunderstood Scripture. The problem wasn't a difference of opinion. The problem was these religious leaders had hearts That were far from God. And so then Jesus addressed everyone. And he teaches them a truth. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 14. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All you listen, he said. Try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your body. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and And his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked? Can't you see that that food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and, and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things, they come from within. They are what defile you. Now, don't get so caught up in the food thing that you miss the deeper truth. Yes, Jesus was declaring all food clean and That means you can go eat a plate of shrimp. You can eat you some barbecue. I mean, whatever your little heart desires, go eat it. Just eat it in moderation. Don't be a glutton. Jesus taught that in this truth, but there is a deeper truth. You see, what Jesus was saying is this. Don't miss this. You are defiled by what comes from the heart. And then he went on to say, it is what comes from inside that defiles. In in other words, you can look great on the outside. You can be a poster child of good family values. You can be pro-life, pro-marriage, pro-family. You can have filters on your internet. You can never use profanity. You can never smoke, drink, or chew, or hang around with those who do. And your heart can still be far from God. You see, the truth is, you can be filthy on the inside, 
while you are spit-shined on the outside. Jesus said this in Matthew 25. He said, woe to you teachers of law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and selfish indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees and hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Can you imagine going over to someone's house and they offer you something to drink and you're thirsty and you go, sure, I'd love something. And and they bring you back a cup and and on the outside of the cup, it's obvious this cup has been washed, it's clean. And and you take the cup and, and you look inside, there's mold growing in there. There's old, old stains of stuff, you don't even know what it is. There's bugs crawling around. Now, you're not going to be saying, man, the outside of this cup sure is clean. Thank you. You're going to be sitting there going, oh, dear Jesus, how am I going to get around this? Because I don't want to drink anything out of this cup. You see, we don't focus on the outside. We focus on the inside. And so that takes us to the truth. Don't miss this. Religion can only cling the outside. But Jesus cleans us from the inside out. Religion focuses on cleaning up our habits. But Jesus focuses on cleaning up our heart. And listen. Programs can change our habits. You can go through... 12-step programs, you can go through self-help programs. There's a number of them out there that can help you quit smoking, quit drinking. Whatever your problem of choice may be, whatever your sin of choice may be, you can go through programs. You can get help to have victory over those things. But in the end, it's not your habits that is your problem. It's your heart. Your heart is the root of your problem. You see, it's our heart that controls our desires. It's our heart that sets our direction. And if our heart is not changed, at the end of the day, we're, we're still lost. Al Mohler, who is president of Southern Seminary, was writing an article on morality in the church. And in that article, he was quoting novelist Farrell Smith, who says this. He, he's talking about his childhood and He describes his childhood as being raised right. And then this is what he says. He says, the child who is raised right pleases his parents and other adults by adhering to moral conventions and social etiquette. A young person who is raised right emerges as an adult who obeys the law, respects his neighbors, gives at least lip service to religious expectations, and stays away from scandal. The point is clear. This is what parents expect. This is what culture affirms. And then listen, and many churches celebrate. 
But then he goes on to say, but our communities are filled with people who have been raised right and are headed to hell. Did you get that? Did you hear that? This is important. Our churches are filled with people who have been raised right, people who are living right, but the problem is they're headed to hell. And when we do that, when we reduce spirituality to religion, to rules and relationship, we reduce the Bible to a a moral behavior book rather than a revelation of our need and God's response to our need. And because of that, what we've done as a people is we produced a, a list of rules that will keep us from certain external defilement. Don't drink. Don't dance. Don't go to R-rated movies. Don't, don't, don't. And don't get me wrong. The Bible is crystal clear. There are things that if we do and we continually do habitually, it shows that the heart hasn't been changed and we're not going to heaven. But it's not a matter of what we do. It's a matter of what Jesus did. And when we get caught up in religion, we work hard on the outside, forgetting that what we really need is a change on the inside. That's tragic. You see, the way God views you, the way that God views sin, is different than the way man views you, the way man views sin. For man, sin is an external problem. Sin is what we do. But to God, sin is an internal problem with external results. Sin is not about what you do so much as it's about who you are. And who you are will affect what you do. Now, why is the heart the heart of the issue? Well, let me give you some verses, and we don't have time to to look at all of these in detail. So let me encourage you to write them down. Go back and study them for yourself. Notice what it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, people judge by outward appearance. The Lord looks where? At the heart. Jeremiah 17.10, but I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine all secret motives. So God's word's clear. When God looks at us, where does he begin? What we do? Our habits? Or does he look inside at our heart? The Bible makes it clear that he looks at our heart. And then notice what it says about our heart in Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It is desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So the Bible says that God looks at the heart. And then the Bible says that our hearts are desperately wicked. And then Proverbs 20 verse 9 
It says, who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure, I am free from sin? Now, that's one of those rhetorical questions. I mean, who can honestly look at God and say, I've cleansed my heart, I've purified myself from sin? No one can. No one can. And then Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me, know my thoughts. Psalm 51:10, create in me a clean heart. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. And I could go on and on. You see, God is more concerned about your heart than anything else. Because the fact of the matter is you can put on a good show. You can say the right words. You can go through the motions and never have a changed heart. But, hear me, if your heart has truly been changed, then everything else will change as well. And so here's the application. What we need to do. Let me give you three things. First of all, this morning, in light of the fact that God looks at our heart, we need to look within We need to ask ourselves, has our heart ever been changed? Have we come to that point in our life where we've realized our utter inability to change our core problem, our heart? Psalm 51, 17 says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. And so we begin by asking ourselves, Have I realized that the heart is the root of my problem? Or have I been involved in trying to just simply regulate good behavior? Second, we need to look up. We need to realize that our best efforts are not going to change our heart. We need God to give us a brand new heart. And that's only going to happen when we cry out to him with all of our heart. Let me say that again. I want you to look at me. There may be some of you here this morning that you say, well, I've done that and and I don't feel like my heart's ever changed. Well, I can tell you your problem. I want you to hear me. Look me in the eye. The problem is you've never cried out to God with all your heart. You've never been so desperate that you wanted him more than you wanted life itself. Here's what it says in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So look within. Has my heart been changed? Have I been given a new heart? Look up to the only one who can change your heart and go after him holding nothing back and then finally live it out. If Jesus has changed your heart, your life will be changed as well. In Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, David writes this. He says, who can climb 
the mountain of the Lord. In other words, who can go into God's presence? Who will stand in his holy place? And then David says this, only those whose hands and hearts are pure. In other words, only those who have sought God and asked God to give them a new heart, only those who have prayed out and cried out like David, create in me a clean heart, only those who have clean hearts, but the clean hearts result in, you know what? Clean hands. What we do. How we live. So you need to look in. Has your heart really been changed? I'm afraid there are going to be a lot of people who are surprised when they stand before Jesus. And then look up. Cry out with all your heart to the only one who can help. And then when he comes in and gives you a new heart, live it out. Live for him. This past week, I went to New Orleans with Sherry um, to celebrate some of her accomplishments. And, um, and um, we flew in on Tuesday and um, um, went and ate beignets and drank cafe au lait with um, some friends on Tuesday night. And, and on Wednesday morning, as we do every morning when we're here, we got up real early and, and we walked. It was dark still in New Orleans, and we started walking toward the French Quarter. We walked through the downtown area, walked down um, South Peters to North Peters, and then turned on Bourbon Street. And, and we were walking just through the city, getting our exercise early in the morning before anyone was really up. And as we were walking, Sherry noticed that the road was wet and the sidewalk was wet. And yet when we went to bed... Tuesday night, the stars were out, and it certainly didn't look like, as you looked in the sky, that it had been raining that night. And so she said, has it been raining? And I said, no. They come out after everybody or most people go to their rooms, and they spray down the roads, and they spray down the sidewalk to clean up all the vomit, all the filth. All the mess. And Sherry laughed and said, no, they don't. I said, I'm telling you. It's what they do. They not only do it in New Orleans where you've got all these people who are, you know, fall into street drunk walking around. They do it in a lot of major cities. And sure enough, as we continued to walk and we were walking down Bourbon Street, here came this street sweeper. And here was this guy spraying his wand on the sidewalks, cleaning up all the filth, all the mess, all the dirt, all the trash. But you and I know, don't you? The problem with that is that next night, they're going to have to be out again. Cleaning it all up. And the next night, they're going to have to be out there again. Cleaning it all up. And the next night they're going to be out there again cleaning it all up. Because the problem is all they're doing is they're cleaning up the outside. But because the thing that causes the trash, that causes the filth, hasn't been changed, nothing really changes. 
the pattern just repeats over and over and over. And that's where some of us are. We keep on cleaning up the outside. And if, 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 if we get to that point where we've cleaned it up, it could be pornography, it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, whatever it may be. I, I don't know, but we get to that point where we clean it up. Our sin of choice is no longer there on the surface. We feel like we've arrived. But the problem is, on the inside, where it really matters, we're still defiled. So what about it? Have you looked within? Have you come to that point where you've realized that your heart is desperately wicked and there's nothing you can do about it? Have you looked up? Have you cried out to the one, the only one, who can create in you a clean heart? The only one who can give you a new heart? Have you sought him with all your heart? Because if you do, he will not turn you away. And then are you living it out? Are there external evidences to the reality of an internal difference in your life. Well, bow your head with me. Close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, the issue today is our heart. Religion can change your habits. Religion can set you free from a, a lot of things, but religion can't change your heart. Only Jesus can do that. And your heart is the heart of the issue. And that's the supernatural element of our faith. It's not a matter of what we do. It's a matter of what Jesus has done. And it's a matter of how his Holy Spirit comes in and makes us brand new. He changes us from the inside. And over time, we discover that our outside is followed. Now, if you're here and you haven't experienced that kind of change in your heart, then I want to encourage you today, if that's the desire of your heart, to cry out to God. If that's the desire of your heart and you want this relationship with Him, you want Him to change you from the inside out more than anything else in life, then I encourage you to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I desperately need you. My heart is wicked. There's nothing I can do about it. I need you. Forgive me for all my sins. With my heart, I am trusting in you. Come into my heart. Take control 
Make me new. Give me the desire and then give me the power to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. 